rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. These are the prison epistles. One of uh, the most interesting movies I've ever watched uh, is a movie called Memento. It's a Christopher Nolan movie from uh, a few decades back. Uh, and, and in it, the lead character uh, has lost the ability to, to, to collect short-term memories. Uh, and so the last thing he remembers is the night that his wife was murdered. And, and, and he finds himself waking up every morning in a hotel room, n- not knowing how he got there, how long he's been there, what's going on. Uh, and he sort of comes alive and, and sort of in the, in the shudder kind of a moment. Uh, and then he looks down at himself and he sees that he's got these tattoos all over himself. And what he's doing is he's piecing together the story of what's happened in these tattoos. And so he wakes up in the morning and he starts to read the story of what he's collected so far as he's trying to solve the murder of his wife. Um, and sort of he, he, he realizes who he can trust and what's gone on and what he knows so far and where to look next uh, and other things to investigate. And he begins to piece together his life through these, these tattoos that are on his body. Um, but as the movie goes on, you actually start to to, to distrust some of the information and wonder if he's gotten it wrong and if he actually can trust these things that, that, that he's reading on himself. Um, and for me, I actually think it's an interesting metaphor for our lives, for our identity, that I think every morning, in, in a sense, we wake up and we, we read a script about ourselves. We read a script of, of who am I? What makes me valuable? What in life is worth living? What am I living for? What am I working for? What is my hope? What is my joy? Why am I here? It's almost like we, we, we have this same idea, this script. It's not tattooed on us, but, but we have it as we work through subconsciously every day. And as we look at the world that we live in or, or the culture around us, it shapes the story of our identity. Naturally, culture is kind of like the soup that we all swim in, and it's sort of we stew in it. Uh, And if we look at the the, the story, the identity that our culture tries to write on us, um, it's that we're accidents of biology and time, right? That there is no deeper meaning to life. It's just you in the moment. And all you have is your your emotions. All you have is the present. And and there is no absolute truth. There's just whatever truth you can find. And uh, all you can really live for and trust is your own heart and you're alone. And and these are the sort of messages that our culture wants to write on us. And and, and if that's what we believe about ourselves, if that's what we wake up in the morning and if that's what we read, that it impacts how we live. It impacts how we view our, our, our finances and our sexuality and, and our work and everything about us. These messages that we read in the mornings determine what we do with our lives. And as Christians, I think we need to be reading off a different script. We're to be a peculiar people, as the Bible says. And so there needs to be something markedly different that we're reading. And that's why I, I really love the epistles, the New Testament epistles. Because in these epistles, we see uh, the authors, the, really, that God is telling us through these authors who we are, what is true about us, who God is, what is true about him, and, then, and that what we're to be living for, how to find life here and now, and what the ending is. Uh, and so over the next three months, we're going to work through the prison epistles. So these are, are the letters that Paul has written uh, from jail. 
Uh, and uh, we're, we're tying these in as well to the dailies, so some, somewhat of a shameless plug for the dailies. Um, we're quite proud of what we're able to sort of put together each week. Uh, we want to encourage you to use those as a resource. We, we really hope and, tr and trust that they are. Uh, you can watch the video while you're eating breakfast, or if you don't want to look at my ugly mug three days a week, uh, then 10 to 15 minutes, you, we've got the podcast links in the foyer. You can take a picture of those, uh, and you can listen to them while you're getting ready in the morning or on your commute to work. And, and in the dailies, we're going to be working verse by verse through each of these four books, the prison epistles. We're going to work through every verse. And then on Sundays, we'll come together and kind of recap the larger text. Uh, and so we want them to tie together. And we hope that those are a resource for you uh, as you go through the week. Paul, as, as you may have recalled through the dailies and acts we did uh, earlier in the year, um, Paul, originally his name was Saul, and he was a, a leader sort of among the Pharisees in the Jewish church and was pretty well, well off at that point in his life. And he was actively persecuting, trying to kill Christians, and successfully so. Um, and Paul was on his way to get some letters so that he could throw Christians in jail wherever he found them. Uh, and on his road to the city of Damascus, he encounters the resurrected Jesus. He sees Jesus who was dead, who was buried, but now is alive and for Paul, it changes everything, including his name. His name becomes Paul, and he becomes the, this missionary, an apostle who goes and, and spends his life traveling around the Mediterranean, preaching the gospel, planting churches, and then writing letters to encourage those churches. Um, there are multiple attempts on his life, and at one point, he's falsely accused in Jerusalem and thrown in prison. So, so Paul uh, really is sort of left there to rot, and he's there in prison for years, sort of ignored locked up, and he makes all these appeals, and he continues to go before these magistrates and these leaders, and eventually he appeals to Caesar, and, and he's shipped over to Rome. And on the way, there's a shipwreck, and it's this whole thing. It takes him some time, but here he finds himself in Rome, waiting his appeal before Caesar. When he is writing, he's got the time, he's writing these letters to these churches. We're going to look at Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. But we see in these letters, and it just sort of screams out of the text, is that there's joy. There's joy in the midst of his circumstances. He is rejoicing. He's thankful for what God is doing. And now picture, he doesn't know the end of his story. For all he knows, a, a crucifixion could be around the corner. He doesn't know if he's going to spend the next number of decades in prison. He doesn't know when his appeal is going to be. You can imagine the frustration he feels knowing the calling that God has put on his life to preach the gospel and plant churches, but he's in chains. and He's probably frustrated going, God, why are, you, why are you keeping me from doing what you've called me to do? He's uncertain about the future. He's probably broken and missing uh, his friendships. Um, many scholars believe that Paul was also going blind. He may have been hunched over from the beatings that he was receiving. But yet we see joy dripping through this text. How does Paul have joy in the midst of this circumstance? And I think it's because every morning Paul wakes up, he's reading from a different script. He knows the truth of who God is and who God has called him to be and the hope of the future. So... We are going to grab the text, and we're going to sort of jump around through Ephesians. Again, in the dailies, we go verse by verse. On Sundays, we're going to kind of jump a bit. So uh, the text will be up behind me. We're going to work through the first chapter and a half of Ephesians. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, first, Paul is acknowledging that he was chosen by this ridiculous grace to be an apostle. He, of all people, 
The enemy of the church becomes its champion. Uh, Then in verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and things on earth. He's saying as well that, that God has chosen them, the church, that the, there's this, this ridiculous grace being poured out for the Ephesian church as well, this redemption, which means a buying back out of slavery. And we're going to see through Ephesians that, that the Ephesians were Gentiles. They were separate from the covenants, but yet through the work of Jesus, now their sin has been paid for and they've been brought in. Verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So here we have the victory of Jesus. Victory of Jesus over death. Victory of Jesus over sin. And that that we are marked and sealed with the Holy Spirit for an inheritance someday to come. And then jumping ahead to uh, to chapter 2. Jump ahead to chapter 2, verse 1. And you. So in addition to to, to sort of the hope that we have in Christ, in his victory, in his work, in his adoption, in the inheritance we have. Then he says in chapter 2, the next slide. And you were dead in the trespasses... And sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So now he's going from present into past tense. And he's saying that we all, all of us, together, equal footing, were by nature, in our nature, in our sin, children of wrath, that we stood condemned under God's judgment. And then, I mean, honestly, I think one of my favorite verses in the Bible, verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We were dead. We were condemned. We were separated. But God, because of his grace, his choosing, his mercy, his work, has redeemed us. He's bought us back. He's adopted us. And that's the language that... We heard even uh, Duncan and Adina using that, that, he, that he's, he's chosen us for adoption. And then verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I think as we see in this text in the Greek, actually most of chapter one is one sentence. Paul uses a run-on sentence and his Greek teacher, I'm sure, is just pulling out his hair, but he's so excited. Paul is so excited about all that God is doing and has done and is doing. And for the Ephesians of all people, he's so excited he doesn't even have time for punctuation. 
He, he's just, you can, you can sort of get this sense that he's just so exuberantly excited that he's just going off on how great this work of God is. And I think the source of this joy for Paul is found right here in verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, he knows who he is, to the saints. He calls the Ephesians the saints. And we see the same language again in 1 Corinthians. Of all the churches, he calls those people saints. He doesn't say those who are becoming saints or for those elect few who may become saints. Like we kind of know saints in sort of the Catholic church. But saints here means hagios in Greek. It just means the anointed ones. Those who are separated from sin and consecrated, set aside for God. And so he calls the Ephesians saints. And in so doing, he's calling us saints as well. That's the application pieces we come to understand the text, that, that he's actually calling us saints. He's not saying that you might become saints, or if you're good enough, maybe you can become a saint. He's saying that you are a saint. That you are consecrated to God. That you are one who's been separated from sin. And we call this an identification truth. That's what theologians who are smarter than me call it. That this is true not because we, we understand it, but rather because God speaks it. That we are saints not because we have earned it or accomplished it. We are saints because God has declared it. And we see these positional kind of truths all the way through this text. We see that we were children of darkness, but that God has adopted us, that he has chosen us. And, and uh, there's, there's language about predestination here, and it's not a, a matter of getting into that debate, but rather there is an acknowledgement that God has actually chosen you. The God of the universe, who knows everything about each of us, there is something amazing, magnificent about this fact that God has chosen us. And in knowing us, not only choosing us, but adopting us. And that's this language of covenant where he takes that which wasn't kin, that which wasn't family, and, and through Jesus, his son, makes us family. And no matter how we feel about these truths, that we are redeemed, that we are forgiven, that the curse of our sin has been dealt with on the cross, no matter how we feel about that, God declares it to be true. And that's the difference between our position and our condition. Our position is what God declares to be true. What God says about us, that we are forgiven, that we are our saints. That is, that is true regardless of how we might feel in the moment. Maybe you woke up this morning and had an argument with someone. Maybe you did something yesterday that you're not proud of and, and you don't feel like a saint. That's your condition, but the position is secure no matter what. I mean, you go back to this language of adoption. The Duncan and Adina are Nelson and Zoe's parents no matter how they may feel, no matter where they may end up. No matter how that might go from day to day, that is unchangeable. That adoption is secure. Girls, I am your dad no matter what happens. No matter how you might feel about me or me about you at any given moment, no matter where you might find yourself later in life, that is unshakable and movable. It doesn't change. It's true. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. And, and so this is, this is, I think, the root and source of the joy that we are to have is that God has declared these things about us and God has made them true no matter how we feel about them. And, and that we live from our identity and not for it. Meaning that we don't have to earn these things. 
that they've been tattooed on us. It's like uh, Andy in, in, or in Toy Story, right? The, this lead character in the movie Toy Story. And, and you've got Woody, the little cowboy, right? And there, it, Woody goes through this existential crisis in Toy Story where he doesn't know who he is or what his value is. Or, and, and then he looks at the bottom of his foot, right? And what does he see? He sees Andy written on the bottom of his foot because he knows who he is. That's his value. That's his identity. And so with these things that God speaks over us here in Ephesians, we see God is declaring our value, our worth, and our identity. And these are the things that we need to be reading about who we are. And we saw in the last series that there's a command of God, that there's an expectation that we act justly, that we love mercy, and that we walk humbly. And the great tension of our faith is, what is my responsibility in that? But it actually flows out of our identity. And it first comes from this place of understanding who we are, what God has done for us on our behalf, that God has adopted us, that God has given us a seat at his table. And so as a response, because that is who we are, this is how we should respond. And that's why we see here at the end uh, 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 in Ephesians chapter uh, 2 verse 10, that we are his workmanship created for good works, which God has prepared beforehand. Meaning we don't have to create these good works or earn it. We simply need to live as that which has already been done for us. Live up to that which we've already attained, as Paul says. And that is the source of our joy. No matter how you feel about your condition in this moment, our position is secure. The we, that you, in Christ, have been chosen. He knows you. He knows that thing. He's chosen. That he's done the work. And in fact, one of the, the amazing truths of Scripture we see in John 3 is that, that we can't even respond to God until he first does a work in us. That's called regeneration. That, that until the Spirit of God gives us a new heart, we cannot respond to him. And so as we doubt these things at times, we realize that if I have ever come to a place in my life where I've bent my knee to Jesus, that that is because God has first done a work in me. That God has chosen us. That God has adopted us. That we who were once sinners on the outside, objects of wrath. He's taken us, the enemy, on the outside, looking in. We were, we were the dirty homeless kid living outside the house, looking in on Christmas, the family eating turkey. We've been invited in and given a place at the table and been given family status. We've been redeemed, meaning that the curse of our own sin has been paid for in the work of Jesus on the cross. That he has bought us out of our slavery. That we are sealed, this text says. And, and that, that means that, that God has placed his mark on us. That we are his, that no one can question it because God has declared it to be so. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit for our inheritance. We our inheritors, that we are co-heirs with Christ, meaning that our hope is that someday we are co-heirs in the new kingdom with Jesus. That's our hope. Not because we've earned it or deserve it, because God simply declares to be true. And he's also equipped us not, not to earn these things, but to walk in these things that God has prepared for you as we enter into the kingdom of God together. And so, I think it does come down 
to, to what script do we read about ourselves in the morning? Where is our value? Where is our identity? Where is our worth? Who are we? What are we, what are we supposed to live for? And, and we look at a text like Ephesians, and it wants to tell us who we are, what our identity is, what our value is. And, and when, we, when we read that script in the morning, it changes how we live. So I want to I want to uh, to seal this a little bit, sear this on you. So the elders are going to come with some sharpies. Everyone, pull your arms. I'm just kidding. Um, what I want you to do is I just I want you to close your eyes. Um, you don't need to memorize these things. Maybe I'll get Alicia to put them on social media so they're there later. But I want you to close your eyes, and I just want to speak these things over you, and, and let them let them sear on the insides of your eyelids. These are truths that God has declared about you this morning. That this is your identity, and this is who you are, and this is where we live from. So first, you are chosen. The God has seen you. The God knows you. God knows your heart. God knows your thoughts. God knows your history. God knows your future. God knows the things that you wrestle with and struggle with. God knows those mistakes that you've made, but he has chosen you. He's reached down and he's touched you. You've been chosen. You've been redeemed. The weight of the mistakes and the curses in your life. Those things you've said, those things you've done, the, the ways that you've hurt not only others but him. That Jesus has taken those on his own back and put them on the cross. You are redeemed, bought out of slavery, set free, walked through into the promised land. You are redeemed. You have been adopted. You are no longer a stranger, no longer trying to prove your worth. You've been given a place at the table of the king, at the great banquet, We were not kin, but through God the Son, he's adopted us as sons and daughters. He looks on us not as employees, but as his children. You have been sealed. The Holy Spirit dwells within you, each of us collectively as the temple You've been sealed with the Spirit. God dwells inside us. And it is the seal that nothing can separate us from the love of God. That no one can pluck us from his hand. That you are sealed for eternity. That you are inheritors. That this life is not all there is. That we are co-heirs with Christ in a coming kingdom. And our hope is secure. And finally, you are equipped. God has given you a role. God has given you gifts. God has given you opportunities to be part of this great rescue mission. And he's created works for you to simply walk into. He'll equip you and give you the wisdom and the resources you need.
So I want to invite the worship team up. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you say these things about us. And we acknowledge that we were children of darkness. But yet by your grace and your mercy, God, you speak these things over us and you call us saints. May these be the things that are seared onto our lives that we believe about who we are in you and help us to live up to that which we've already attained. In the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.